Okay, um, the last thing. If God did not make Eve until after six days of creation, why does Genesis 1.27 say male and female, he created them? Let me say that again. God doesn't even make Eve until the sixth day, after the sixth day of creation. By then you're in Genesis 1, you know, I don't know where, but you're on the sixth day. Why does Genesis 1.27 say that God created male and female together? Huh? Okay, context. He did create male and female in the animal kingdom, but what about male and female in Genesis 1.27? He's exclusively talking about the creation that was made in God's image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. He created them. Maybe it's not necessarily talking about the time in which he created them. Just that he created them both in his likeness. Okay, so maybe time doesn't really factor in. Great, great, great thought. The rabbis love to to take stuff like this and make a big deal out of it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to just read what some of them have said. I think this is pretty neat. I think you guys will like it too. The rabbis said, according to Genesis 1, 27, the first man that God created was both male and female. Yep, you heard it right. That is what the Bible says after all. And in fact, I believe the Hebrew syntax reads that, and God created him male and female, he created them. And there's like this pause, this space. Then, after God made this androgynous human that was both male and female, he tore them down the middle and covered up the place with with flesh. Now, why would he do that? The only way that these two would ever be complete again would be in the union of what? Marriage. One man and one woman joined together because otherwise the verse doesn't make sense. Here's the verse that doesn't make sense. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. How can two people become one body? They can if God originally tore him in one person in half covered him up and said, now forevermore, males will be attracted to females and females attracted to males. And it's only when they come together that they will be one flesh again because that's the way God. Now, is that true? Did God really create an androgynous man walking around, woman, woman over here on this side, man over here on this side, and God went, ah! oh, I don't think so. That's what a midrash is, no. Why, why don't you think so? Because it said that uh, God created Eve after Adam. Right, one of his good. So what the rabbis did is whenever there was a weird verse, and this is what I want you guys to, this is what's so much fun. And this is what Hebrew Roots class is all about, is the Bible is full of verses that are weird. That make you go, that, that doesn't make any sense. Or why say it like that? There's a story about a, uh, I think it's Luke. Yes, there's a story in Luke where a guy in a synagogue has a withered hand. Matthew tells it. Guy who's 
whose hand was withered and Jesus calls him forward and says, hey, stretch out your hand and, and, it, and it is restored. I think Mark tells the same gospel. When Luke tells the same story in his gospel, guess what Luke tells us? It was his right hand. Now that made me stop and go, wait a minute. Matthew doesn't say it's his right hand. Mark doesn't say it's his right hand. Only Luke says, same guy, same synagogue, same healing, but it was his right hand. Now, you know what I did? I went, okay, text. Why do I need to know that? Why is that important? Why would Luke have told me it's his right hand? Is, is that important? Do I need to? And God said, got your gloves on? No, put them on. Boots? Okay. Shovel? Light? You ready to dig? Yeah, I'm ready to dig. And I found the coolest, amazing lesson that when we get there, I'm going to share with you. And had we not known that it was his right hand, I never would have found it, ever. But thank God that Luke mentioned it was his right hand. It's absolutely meaningful, absolutely significant. It changes everything. One word. So, why does he say it like that, man? Male and female, he created. I'll tell you why. So they could come up with a madrash that says, there's an androgynous man, God split him down the middle. And that's the reason the verse is difficult that says, how can two people become one flesh? Oh, they can if they were originally one flesh. Started out that way. Another thing is, I, I asked uh, a class the other day, um, we are faced with, in epidemic proportions, at least through the media, this idea of homosexuality being constantly before us. I don't know if you've noticed, if you watch any movies or TV lately, you got commercials now that it's just as normal as anything for these commercials for there to be two dads and, and some kids running around or two moms. Um, and we're not going to get into the morality of it today, but it's ever before us. It's present. And there's a lot of kids here at this school that question and that struggle and that maybe are same-sex attracted. Maybe they're not acting on that yet. But, but this is a reality in our world. It's 2019. People are always hearing and seeing homosexuality. Let me, let me take us back to Genesis 1, 27 to answer the question of, is homosexuality maybe something that God is okay with? Stay with me. God created Adam, human. In whose image? God's image. Now you got it. This is a midrash, so you got to stay with me. Adam was created in God's image. Adam <laughs> went to sleep, and God pulled out of Adam. Woo, woo, Eve. Okay, she came out of him. So, technically, how much of God's image does she have? If she was taken out of him. Because, mm -mm. no. When I cut an apple, pull it away from the other apple, do I still have the same amount of apple over here as I do over here? No. How much? Let's take a guess. Half. So she's got 50% God's image, and Adam's left with 50% of God's image. And when two guys get together and decide to have a relationship, are they bearing the image of God? No, only halfway, only 50%. Two men still only have 
How about two women? If they get together and they have a relationship, are they bearing God's image? Only halfway. The only way you can fully bear God's image is when you have this 50 added to that 50. Then you have 100% image bearing. And so I don't think God thinks homosexuality is gross. He doesn't go, ooh, oh, what'd you do? Oh gosh, that's God doesn't get grossed out by our stuff any more than God gets attracted to a girl. And, and some girl goes, hey, God, check me out. He's like, whoa, that's just weird. It's crazy. It's like you saying, it's like you saying, I found that llama really attractive the other day. What? Like that doesn't even happen. Like we can't think animals are uh, cute or, I mean, cute, yes, but not like handsome or, or, or really regal, beautiful. No, it's, they're animals. So God doesn't get attracted if God doesn't get attracted to us, I don't know that he gets repulsed by the same things that we're repulsed by. Now, he gave us bad smells, like Mr. Lee was talking about, so that we'd go, ooh, danger. <laughs> I need to check that out a little more. Ooh, gosh, right? I think he also gives us, ooh, the ooh factor, because it means danger. Now, God isn't grossed out. That's not why God opposes homosexual unions. I don't think God thinks it's gross, I don't think God thinks, ooh. I don't think God thinks, uh, I prefer the. God opposes homosexual unions because two men do not bear God's image. They only bear it halfway. And God's all about together, not separate. Now that's my opinion. And Adam here, uh, campus minister, shared that with me. I think he's dead on. I think he's dead on. But we have to learn what the word image means. What does it mean to bear God's image? If it's not that I look like God, I started this letter spirit thing to show us that in everything in life, there is form and there is function. How many of you have ever looked at a car buying a car and you looked at the outside of the car and thought, that's cool. I like that color. I like those wheels. I like those rims. I like those, the paint job. I love the shape. I love the body style. Ooh, I like a Mustang. All of you should raise your hand because that's what we all look for. Few of us go, now wait a minute. I'm going to start out with the internal combustion engine efficiency ratio because I know that these are highly efficient right? If you are shopping for cars based on efficiency, functionality, gas mileage, you didn't give a flip what it looked like or sounded like or anything, you'd all be driving around in grandma cars. You'd all be driving around in Ford Sparks. Mm, terrible looking car. Pretty good gas mileage. Do you know what I mean? So there's form and there's function and you and me, this is what we look at. But God says, God does not look at what man looks at. God does not esteem what man esteems. For man looks at what is on the outside, but God looks at what's in the heart, what's on the inside. So function and form. Here's where you and I are, unfortunately. I know so many girls in this school who guys aren't saying are so hot, man. But I'm sitting there going, you have no idea. This girl is somebody that, you're going to kick yourself one day because you're going to want to marry a girl like that. Well, she's not hot, man. 
oh, she's so much, be- she's so beautiful in so many other ways. She may not be a, a, a 12 on a scale of one to 10 to you, but you're looking at form only. You gotta look at function, man. That's what God does. So if image doesn't mean form, it must mean, if image doesn't mean letter, it must mean, do you see how cool that is? So man was created in God's function. Well, what does God do? If you don't believe me, by the way, open Genesis 1, look at um, verse 28. The verse right after God says, let's make man in our image. Parentheses, function. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What is God's function? To create, to bless, to multiply, and to rule over. Who rules over all the earth? God does. But then God said, look, I want you to have some of my function too. I'm going to create you in my function. So here, mankind, I want you to, the first thing he tells him to do, have dominion over everything on the earth. That doesn't mean be a cruel dictator. Have dominion over means take care of my creation. Rule over it. Don't let the fish fight. Don't let the squirrels fight. Don't kill things randomly for sport. But if you need something, go ahead and take it if you're going to use it. Be responsible with my creation. Don't mistreat your wife. Don't exasperate your children. Don't do things that are immoral. Don't lay with the neighbor's wife. Why not, God? Because that's not what I would do. I need you to take care of her, not insult her and degrade her. Function, act like God. God says, I want you to act like me. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. Isn't that cool? So when two men or two women are together, they're not functioning as God told us to function. You say, well, how so? What's the first command in Genesis 1.28? Be fruitful. How are two guys supposed to be fruitful? Only if you make that a figure of speech. If Only if you make it figurative. Like we were saying before, oh, you mean be fruitful in my knowledge and my learning? Sure, two guys could do that. But that's not the context here. It's multiply, have kids. And two guys and two girls can't do that with each other. That's why God opposes it. Because they can't act like God. So, anyways, I I didn't mean to get off into the homosexual argument, but I think it's important to have um, verses and, and, and a theology that can support why it is that we think some of the other verses that are more cruel or harsh sounding are that way. It's not that God is grossed out. It's that God says it doesn't work the way I designed it to work. And so I don't want it. All right. Did anybody read Genesis 1 and 2 before we got here? Okay. Um, what did you notice when you compare those creation accounts side by side? Did anybody notice anything? Mm, We're not reading our texts like a Hebrew. We're just reading it and going, okay, I just read both and they were both. So are they the same creation account? Are they the same? Are there any differences? Yes. 
Sure, tell me one. Well. <laughs> if you're going to put me on the spot there, Mr. Dean. I'll give you a clue. What's God's name in chapter 1, and what's God's name in chapter 2? Hmm. Is he called the Lord God in chapter 1 anywhere? Just God. That's a difference. That's weird. Why is he called Adonai Elohim in chapter 2, but just Elohim in chapter 1? Could be, but we know the first chapter was written by Moses. And he wasn't a Jew, but he was Hebrew. Maybe. For sure. Actually, what day was man created in chapter one? Sixth day. When was man created in chapter two? Was he created before or after all the birds and animals and fish? He was created before all the birds and animals and fish in chapter 2. Did you notice that? That's kind of weird, isn't it? How about water? What, did, what came out of water in chapter 1? Look at, look at day 3. What came, after, look, what came out of water? All the living creatures came out of the water in chapter 1. How about chapter 2? Where did all the living creatures come out of? It was just a mist on the ground, and God, God was able to uh, form all the creatures out of the dust of the ground. So which is it? Can you have it both ways? Law of non-contradiction here? Two things cannot be both true and false. At their, one thing cannot be both true and false at the same time in the same way. So did, was man created first, or was he created last? Because you can't have it both ways. But in Genesis 2, God, man is first, and then everything else is created after him. So the chronology's all goofed up. In the first, the earth emerges from water and then was saturated with moisture. In the second chapter, the whole face of the ground requires watering. In the first chapter, birds and beasts were created before man. In the second chapter, they were created after man. In the first chapter, all flying fowl were made from the waters. In the second, the fowl of the air were made out of the ground. You can read it right there in chapter two. In the first, man was made in the image of God. In the second, man was made from the dust and then animated with the breath of life. After eating the forbidden fruit by the first human couple, then the Lord God says, behold, the man has become like one of us. He's only in his image after he eats the fruit and sins by eating the fruit. What's going on? Not because he sinned, but because what the sin gave him. Because now he has the knowledge of good and evil. Just like God. And now Adam is going to be able to function just like God. Do you know what I mean? Knowing good and evil. And so it's just, it's like, what, what's going on here? Why, why are these contradictory accounts? If you read these enough next to each other, you'll go, and in fact on your computer, if you pull up chapter one and chapter two and just go, you're going to go, that's not right, that's different, that's different, that's different, that's different, that's different. The question's why? So my question was, has anyone else ever been bothered by the fact that we have two creation accounts and they're different? I, I'm very bothered by that. I don't know if you are. I am, um, at least on the surface of it. 
And so let's, let's take a look at some of maybe the reasons why, um, why it is like that. Why was um, a woman created from the rib of man in the second chapter, but in the first chapter, verse 27, he created them, male and female, together. There's no sleeping and pulling and rib work. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's different. Even if, even if it's not that much different, it's still different. And as you and I grew up, the Bible's supposed to not have mistakes. The Bible's not supposed to have contradictions. The Bible's not supposed to say things that are completely opposite what it said just a chapter earlier, right? And so your question in mind should be, is the Bible contradicting itself? And obviously we're talking about this because I don't think so. But many people have never even considered what's going on here in chapter one and chapter two. It's never even been an issue. And that, that is a, a good indicator that we don't read our Bibles near enough and we're not reading our Bibles critically. We're not asking the question, hey, why is that different? Why do I need to know that they're different if we don't even know? Okay, I don't know if you know this, but Egypt had two main creation accounts. Hmm. These existed long before Moses and long before Abraham. We're talking 3500 BC. Both accounts have a primordial ocean, chaos, and both accounts have this primeval hill that emerges from the ocean. There are two main creator gods in Egyptian mythology. One is named Ptah, and the other, Knum. These are the creator gods. They got a god for everything in Egypt. But the creator gods are called Ptah and Knum. Guess how Ptah creates? <laughs> he does not shoot a light. That was supposed to symbolize something else. How does God create in chapter one? His voice. Good. He uses speech. He speaks things into existence. Guess how Ptah creates? With his voice. How does God create in chapter two? He forms everything out of the dust of the ground, out of his mud. Remember the mist, the water, and then the dust of the earth? What do you get when you put water with dust of the earth or soil? You get mud. Can you make anything out of mud? What, what else? What's another name for mud? Clay. Clay. Can you, can you make anything out of clay? Guess how Knum creates? With clay, with mud. Really weird. Okay. Knum creates man on his potter's wheel. There is Knum. Here's the potter's wheel and look what he's fashioning. Look at that. These are actual representations from the cartouches that they found on the, on the carvings of the temples in Egypt. Now, both the Egyptian and the Hebrew texts. Did you hear that? Both the Egyptian and the Hebrew texts use the phrase breath of life. It was very common in Egyptian creation accounts to speak of the 
breath of life. Who holds the breath of life? I'll tell you who holds the breath of life. I, I, you can't really see this very well, but there's a God with an animal head on it and there's the Pharaoh. And do you know what the breath of life looks like? It's an ankh. If you've ever heard of an ankh. A lot of people have it on their necklaces or jewelry. Who holds the ankh, the breath of life in that cave or that the Pharaoh does. It's right over his shoulder. And in fact, uh, look at here. It's in his hand. Pharaoh is the one who gives the breath of life. So is Pharaoh a God? They believed himself to be. He was the expression of a powerful God in human form. So you had Ra. Horus, Set. Set, Nut, Happy, Anubis. You have all these gods. But Pharaoh was one of the most important ones. He was a god that had in his hand the breath of life. Meaning what? How should I understand Pharaoh's role? So what? He's just a guy, right? No, he's the guy with the breath of life. What does that mean? What does he have the power of? Life and non-life. If he takes the breath of life from you, you have no life. If he gives it to you, you have life. Pretty important guy, right? Oh my goodness. All right. So both texts, it's weird, but both texts use the word breath of life to describe the life-giving force that the deity infused into the nostrils of the clay figure. There's a big difference, however, because the Egyptian reliefs usually have Two gods involved in the creation of humans. One creates the man, the other puts the ankh, the breath of life, into him. In Hebrew tradition, Adonai does both, which is an intentional affront. It's an intentional attack on Egyptian mythology. Now, what's going on here? Why does it look like the author of Genesis is borrowing details from the Egyptian creation accounts. What's going on? Aha. Who's he talking to, by the way? Who did Genesis get written to? Which Jews? What time in history? After the, after the Exodus. Directly after the Exodus. You see, God, it was relatively easy for God to take the Israelites out of Egypt. But it was so hard for God to take Egypt out of the Israelites. They were Egyptian. 400 years they had lived and breathed and been educated and seen every sign, every commercial, every movie, every TV character, everything, everything, always, constantly. Like it's bombarding us in our day with the, 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 there's always a gay character in every show now, always. For them it was, here's the gods, here's the gods, here's the breath of life, here's the gods, here's who created you, here's who created 400 years. Oh yeah, God took him out of Egypt. But man, it was hard to get Egypt out of them. So God says, let me tell you how it really was. You know Patan Kanum? Yeah. Let me tell you about the real Patan Kanum. Okay, we'll pause there.
We'll pick up on that next time.